Welcome to Gray Relton Church. My name is Tim, and good to have you with us this morning. All right, yesterday, this place was packed, over 700 people at Stephanie's Memorial, and um, I want to thank uh, everybody that helped kind of put put that together. Um, usually, I'm, I'm micromanaging everything, and uh, it was nice to not have to worry about any of that. It says in Hebrews 6.10 something about God will never forget your hard work, especially the work that you do to help one another. And I want you to know God God was very pleased with yesterday's memorial service and and um, glad glad that um, we had it here. It was a perfect place to have it. Keep praying for me and pray for Danny and Morgan and Ethan and just our families um, and uh, Steph's side, Barbara and Charles, uh, Nicole and I think uh, Jenny and the brothers as well just to uh, be doing that. I know Danny was very, very happy with what everybody... Know, coming and even if you got to come for so I don't know how many people are apologizing. I can only come by for a few minutes. It means a lot that you came by for a few minutes. All right, so uh, we just thank you for that. Couple of announcements. Awful quiet in here. Okay, I hope I didn't damper that. It, it was a good memorial service, folks. Good memorial service. Um, Stephanie had to be very pleased too. We're in a series of lessons on the seven churches of Asia. I'm calling it the seven. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a church, uh, the church in Philadelphia. We're at, uh, I think it's church number six of the seven. Do we have that map again today? And ba- basically you have, and just go ahead and click right on through it, you have the, the mail route, an old Roman mail route, that this church, this letter is being, being circulated through. And it goes from, if you, as you watch it unfold, you have it going from Ephesus to, to Smyrna, and then it's going to Pergamum, and then a little bitty... Uh, this little church here in Thyatira, which had all these guilds and stuff. Of course, you have Sardis, we talked about last week, and then today, Philadelphia. And then next week, we're going to wrap it up by looking at Laodicea, the messed up church. Man, they're messed up. And so we're going to be looking at that. So if you want to know how to be a messed up church, you know, come on and check it out next week. <laughs> going to be interesting how we uh, wrap up this series. But you see, the, the, it was an old postal route. And uh, Patmos is where John was when he, we, when he got this vision from God and he was told to write it down and, and to give it to the seven churches. Now just imagine for a minute, here you are, Ephesus, you get this delivery uh, of this letter written to the seven churches and you see one addressed to you and as you open it, you notice that there's some, there's some more information about the other six churches. It's like you're reading their mail. You know, you're, you're reading somebody else's mail. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're reading the mail that was written to these seven churches. And from it, we learn what kind of church God wants and what kind of church He doesn't want. Now, today we're going to be looking at a church that He's very pleased with. It's the church in Philadelphia. They were faithful, the faithful church. Let's read, if you'd like to read up on the screen with me, or if you've got a Bible, a cell phone, iPad, whatever you've got, um, you can read along in Revelation 3. We're going to pick it up. In verse 7, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. There it is again. There it is again. I know your deeds. Jesus knows how the church is really doing. You ever ask, I wonder how we're doing. How's the church doing, Tim? How's, how's, I want to, how you doing? I have people asking me that all the time. How you doing this morning? How you doing during this time? 
with Stephanie. Ask, Danny's being asked, how, how's Morgan doing? How's Ethan doing? Well, I want you to know God knows how we're doing. God knows how you're doing. And he says to this church here, I know your deeds. He knows this church really well. He says, see, I've placed before you an open door and no one can shut. I know you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. I'll make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. It's the only warning that he gives this church. The one who is victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they they have to leave or they'll leave. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from, from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I hope you're listening this morning, especially if you're a faithful Christian, because God's given you lots of promises from this letter. You know, it seems to me that each city here, each city influences the content of each letter to the churches. If you remember, when we were looking at all these different churches so far, we got Pergamum, for example, and Jesus calls himself the one who has bronze feet and whose tongue has a double-edged sword or eyes of fire, he says to Sardis. But you got Pergamum who has these men walking around that have the right of the sword, and Jesus is telling them, speaking of swords, and you know them well at Pergamum, I have the final word. I have the authority, not those fellows with their little little pocket knives. And also, then you look at Smyrna. The, the, he talks about, about I know you, and you, you're being crushed by these people that are saying all kinds of slanderous things about you. And he talks to Smyrna. He used that word crushed on purpose because that word they're familiar with because in Smyrna, where myrrh or Smyrna, correctly pronounced, is made only there, it has to be crushed for the fragrance, to, that wonderful perfume and preservative to come out. And so they understand, oh, so when we're crushed, the character of Christ comes out of us. And of course, last week we looked at Sardis, and he says, wake up! He says, uh, keep watch! And you think, why would he tell Sardis that? Because there was twice in their history they got caught with their pants down. They weren't watching. They weren't staying alert. And because of that, their city was defeated. And so today we look at a church here in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, where Christ is using terminology and words that they can relate to because of the uniqueness of their city. Now, what do we know about Philadelphia? One of the things I've learned was is that of the seven of the seven cities here listed in Revelation, it's the newest one. It's the newest city. We also learn that it was founded by some colonists um, during the reign of King Attalus II who lived in Pergamum. And it was put there on purpose, strategically on purpose. It's given a new name. It's given this name, Philadelphia. And it's because Attalus was the second loved his brother and was so faithful to his brother that the people started to nickname him Philadelphos. And so they named that 
city after him. Philadelphia is also known as Little Athens. You say, why is it called Little Athens? Because there are, there are temples of everything you can imagine there, every Greek god. But there's hundreds, if not thousands, hundreds of pillars that just are all spread all over the city. And they have the names of faithful people. That's what's on these, many of these pillars, the names of faithful people. So they, they, they're just spread all over uh, the city. Now, it's, what's interesting to me is that Philadelphia was built um, in a particular area that the residents called it the Burnt Land. And the reason they called it the Burnt Land is because it had a history of lots of volcanic activity. And because it had all this history and all this volcanic activity, the soil was very rich and it could, it could, it could, uh, it was very good to, to grow vineyards and grapes there. And so their culture, their economy was supported by the, this grape industry, this wine industry, and it was second to none. Now, because of the volcanic activity and Philadelphia being built there, they didn't do a lot of research where to build this town enough because they built it on a fault line, right on a fault line. So earthquakes were common in this town, like the San Francisco, I guess, of Asia, in a sense. And what I noticed about this was that as I was studying, that in 17 AD, there was a major earthquake that rocked 12 major cities in Asia Minor. Now, Ephesus, it even felt some of its tremors and experienced a little damage. Pergamum experienced a lot of devastation. But Sardis and Philadelphia, man, they got leveled. And when that happened, Tiberius, the emperor at the time, put, put a five-year basically a, a hold on any taxes or tribune that he'd receive from the city. He says, listen, you can't afford it. You need to rebuild your city. In fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will collect some money from the Roman treasury, and we'll send it out there to help you rebuild your city and those 11, those other 11. And what happens is, during that time, by doing that, Philadelphia, along with these other cities, erected these temples, these emperor temples, to pay homage and to honor uh, people like Tiberius. And so they were common in this, in this city. Lots of statues, lots of temples. Now what do we know about the church in Philadelphia? Well, we know they were faithful. That's what Jesus notices about them. He says they're a faithful church. Look what he says here. I know your deeds. In other words, I really know you. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What's he mean by this little strength? They're a weak church. Or like, you know, they're not very committed. Oh, no, 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 no. They, they, they won't deny the Lord's name. They've, they've been threatened to die or say Caesar is Lord, and they refuse to do that. So they're having people die. No, the reason he calls them a church that has little strength is because they're not a very big church. They're not a very big church. And so I was telling the first service, imagine if you had a large church and you lost a couple of members. It wouldn't be that big a deal. But if you're a small church and a couple of them are killed for their faith, it would affect it quite a bit. He says, I know you're small. You're a small church. Compared to the Romans and the Jews, you're tiny. You're weak. You have little strength. But I want to tell you something. You're faithful. Like Jesus, who appeared to be small and weak and insignificant, 
but strong by what he did, you share the same character of Jesus. And isn't, isn't that what we're to be as a church? To reflect the character of God? Yeah. And so what do we know about Jesus? We know he was faithful. He said, I come to do the will of my Father and to do exactly what he says. And so he met opposition and his followers would meet opposition and he'd be faithful. He'd be faithful on the cross. He'd stay on the cross. You know he could have got off that cross anytime he wanted. He stayed on that cross. Thank God. What's it mean to be faithful? I got to thinking about that. What's it mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things. Uh, we say it faithful. Uh, he's a faithful husband. She's a faithful wife. Or there walks a faithful employee. Right? Or, or if you're at Yellowstone, there's old faithful. And what's old faithful? What's so cool about old faithful? I've been to Yellowstone. Anybody else been to Yellowstone? Yeah. And you, and you go in there, you're going to see old faithful. You want to make sure. And I seem to always arrive just after old faithful has done its job. And I have to wait that hour and whatever, how many minutes it is, you know. And so the crowd's thin. I mean, we walk out there, my boys, old faithful, we're going to wait here. And what's happened? Where, where was everybody at? And some guy will go, well, it just went off. You just missed it. So we had to go to the gift store and do our thing, come back out, the crowd begins to gather, and sure enough, old faithful's right on time. What's it mean to be faithful, a faithful friend? Well, I'll tell you what, they didn't give old faithful its name because it went, and that was it. Joyce Myers says it this way, here's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not that you do the right thing once, but you do it over and over and over again. You do the will of God over and over and over again. And that's what Philadelphia has done. They're a faithful church. They're dependable. They're loyal. They're dedicated. They keep their word. They keep God's word. What else we know about this passage, this church? Well, God rewards faithfulness. He'll reward yours too. He re- promises to reward this church, and He promises to reward your faithfulness too. Look what He says in Revelation 3. Verse 7. You know, Jesus always introduces himself in a way that the people can understand. It kind of sets up the rest of the letter. He says, to the, to the, uh, These are the words of him who is holy and true. He doesn't say that a lot to other churches. He says, I'm the one that's got brazen feet. I'm the one that's got the eyes of fire. I'm the one that's got the tongue of a double edged sword. You know, I, I have all these things. Well, to this church, he says, I am holy and true. Now because of the, again, because of the volcanic activity, this was a perfect place to grow grapes. And so this, this industry was second to none. And Rome knew that. In fact, Rome was jealous of Philadelphia. Here's powerful Rome, the seat of the Roman Empire, jealous over this small little outpost and saying, you know, I don't like it. You know, every, when we have wine and we, we serve wine, they say, do you got any, any from Philadelphia? Huh? Philadelphia? Yeah. This is okay. This is from the, king, the emperor's vineyards. Yeah, but have you ever, you ever done that? You, know, you, you want a good burger. Right? I, know, I had a friend of mine one time. We, Denise uh, had made lasagna or pizza or something. And he says, now if you really want to have lasagna... This is after Denise serves her. Wasn't wise. I look over at her, she is fuming. 
Well, you can just imagine, you know. Have you ever, have you ever tried that Philadelphia? Oh, man, it's good. Really. And so Domitian, an emperor in Rome, passes a law, passes an edict, and has the vineyards of Philadelphia destroyed. The Roman soldiers come in, pull them by the roots, burn all the vineyards out. And how would you feel if this was your town? And, you know, if, if you were Detroit, let's say, and, you know, and somebody who likes Dodge says, I don't like Ford's competition, let's just burn the factory down in Detroit. Well, that's, just imagine how these people felt. This was the main trade or the main economic hinge pin, hinge pin of this city. And they're going, what are we going to do now? And they feel so betrayed. We've been loyal to you, Emperor. We've been faithful to you, and you've just pulled the rug out from under us. Well, just imagine the church. See, the church is being faithful. People are being killed for their faith. They're being crucified. They're being sawed in two this way, not this way. They're being boiled in oil like a French fry. They're being pulled apart by horses. And they're going... Jesus, you know, we're being faithful to you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fine if it happens over in Smyrna, over in Pergamum, but now it's happening here. And it's hard. You know, the, the toughest time to be faithful is when it's difficult. Am I right? That's when we're most vulnerable. We want to quit. This is just too hard. How many times I've wanted to quit? They say a preacher wants to quit every Monday morning. It's the truth. You want to quit every Monday morning. You want, you want to call up U-Haul. We're done. You know, come get my stuff. But it's a, it, so it's tempting when it's tough, when, especially when it's hard, when the heat's on, to get out of the kitchen. And so Philadelphia is feeling much of the same, same pressure. But it's not the pressure from the emperor and the vineyards that they're feeling pressure from. They're feeling pressure from the Jews that live in that town because there's a major Jewish presence there, a huge synagogue. And the Romans are squeezing on them. It's almost like they've got the Romans and the Jews that outnumber them, and they're in the middle, and they're getting just squeezed. And so what's Jesus say? He says, he starts off and says, I'm holy, guys. Now, why would he say that? He's saying that because he's saying, look, I'm not like those emperors. I'm not going to pull the rug out from under you. I'm holy. I'm different. That's what holiness means. I'm totally different. And by the way, I tell the truth. I am true to you. I am faithful to you. You can count on me. I'm not going to pull out on you. I'm not going to write you off. I'm not going to shut you out. So you can trust me. Psalms 18 says this, O Lord, you are faithful to those who are faithful to you. That was David that said that from experience. And he's reminding the church and wants to remind you as we're sneaking and reading somebody else's mail here, he wants you to know, hey, he wants you to be able to say that, Lord, you're faithful to me because I'm faithful to you. I'm experiencing that. So what, so what does he do? Well, this letter has just got lots of promises. And aren't you glad? Hey, listen, last week was rough. Huh? That lesson was rough. I had everybody going, you know, Tim, I'm not as dead as you think I am. I didn't say you were dead. Well, you talked like it. You had me all feeling bad. And I mean, small groups were talking about it. People were texting about it. Can you believe he said that? You know, you say, how did you know that? I, I get 
You're copied and pasted and sent forward, folks. And I know it's a tough lesson that last week was. I don't want to be a dead church. You want to be a dead church? I don't want to be a dead Christian. I don't want to die before I die. You know, I don't want to do that. So it's nice to have a positive, a positive lesson today. Promises. Someone last week said, I wish you'd have been a little more positive. And I said, okay, I'm positive that the church in Sardis was dead. <laughs> okay? And, and I'm positive if we don't repent, we will be too. But here we have promises. And God gives five promises for you. You hang in there. You keep going. You don't stop. Don't let anything stop you. You keep hanging in there. And guess what? God promises five things to you. What are they? Well, number one, God promises to the faithful, my door is always open to you. It will always be open to my faithful. I don't shut doors on faithful people. And I notice here in Revelation, there's a, some references to doors here. Okay? Look at this in verse 7. These are the words of Him who, and He says it's holy and, and true, who holds the key of David. What is that all about? Holds the key of David. See, the people that heard this understood what that meant. There must have been a lot of Jews in this church. You say, how do you know that, Tim? Because he's using Jewish terminology. You wouldn't use Jewish terminology to a pagan. You would use it to people who could identify with it. There must have been a lot of, enough people, enough Jews in this town, in this particular church to understand that so they could explain to the Gentile what was this meaning by this. He holds the key of David. What's, that, what's he talking about there? Well, look what, he's, look what that key does. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. You see, in the first century, especially in Philadelphia and in a lot of the cities here in Asia that we're looking at, when there was a synagogue there, the Christians were welcomed at first. See, a lot of them were Jewish Christians. They were parts of the Jewish community that heard about Jesus. And they learned from their heritage about the Messiah. So they accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Well, the Jews who shared the same heritage. You know, when you became a Christian as a Jew, you didn't say, well, the Ten Commandments don't matter. Moses don't matter. Joseph don't matter. Creation don't matter. No, that's part of your heritage. And that's part of your heritage, too. We're right now going through the Daily Bible, and we're reading Old Testament, and we're getting ready to go through the dry, crusty plains of Leviticus, where quiet times go to die. <laughs> you know that, right? Oh, no, not Leviticus again? Yep. Take a water bottle along. You know, so... Take something where we, we can find you, because we'll find you. Papers scattered everywhere, coffee stains on the carpet, cups and saucers broken, half-eaten brownies. Why? Well, I was doing really well until I hit Leviticus, and then pff, my quiet time died, and this is where it died. But you know, we share the heritage of the Old Testament as a Christian. Your roots go back to that. You are God's people as a believer. You're the true Jew. That's what a true Jew is. That's why he says, there's some of these Jews, they're not really Jews. They're liars. Why, are they, why is he calling that? Because they're not his people anymore. They've sold out. No, God's people are the faithful people. How do I know if I'm right with God? You faithful? Well, I'm not perfect. Didn't say that. 
Faithfulness isn't perfection. Faithfulness is doing the right thing over and over again. But sometimes I mess up. Yeah, but what do you do when you mess up? You feel bad about it? Absolutely. You're faithful. I'll tell you when you need to get worried, when, you, when, you're, not, when, when, when you're not following through what you want to do for the Lord and it doesn't bother you anymore, you better be worried. I mean, nobody in the Bible is perfect. Nobody preaches is perfect. Nobody that sits in the chairs are perfect. Nobody in your family is perfect. <laughs> You're not perfect either. You're in good company. You can stop and think about it. And so the Jews, you know, here they, these, some of them become Christians in Philadelphia. And they come to church, because that's what a synagogue was, a church building. And they come in, and the doors open, and everybody's coming in. And they're, they're learning about the Old Testament. They're learning about things. I can just imagine a Christian learning about the Messiah again, going, there's a Messianic reference in the Old Testament. I heard as a kid. Now it makes sense. But something happens along the way. The Christians begin to talk about Jesus as the Messiah. They say he died and resurrected. And that makes the Jews nervous. Now, why does that make the Jews nervous? Because they killed Jesus. No. That's not why they're nervous. The reason they're nervous is if you start talking like that, that Jesus is Lord, it's going to make trouble with the Romans. The Romans are going to start coming down on us because we share the same heritage. So stop talking about Jesus. Well, we got to talk about him. He died on the cross, resurrected on the third day. So next time this family comes and here's mom and dad and some four kids and one of them happens to be a Christian and they walk up to the door of the synagogue, a man meets them at the door and says, you can go in, you can go in, you can go in. You can't. Why not? We don't welcome you anymore. You mean I can't come in? No. Imagine a family going through that. You can't... You, you, my kid can't... My dad can't come in? What are you talking about? He can't come in. He's a Christian. He didn't quit believing in all that stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah, but he's making us nervous here. He's going to have to go somewhere else. And while they're at it, after that person gets, they shut the door on them, they go over to this book. It's called the Book of Exemption. And on this book is listed all the names of the Jews in that town and it goes to that synagogue. And they get to your name. You've become a Christian. And they see your name and you know what they do? They blot it out. Now why is that so significant? When they blot out that name, that means that no longer are you exempt. See, the Jews were exempt from worshiping Caesar. If you were on that list, that book of exemption, you were fine. You didn't have to say Caesar is Lord. Imagine for a minute, scholars, you scholars, you theologians in here that know your Bibles. Think about this. What did the Jews say to Pilate when Pilate said, what do you want me to do with your king? They said, he's not our king. What did they say? Caesar is our king. They weren't required by law to say that. Sellouts. They didn't have to even say that. They weren't required to say that. So now they're nervous and they blot your name out and now you're no longer protected by a list. You're on your own. So when the Romans came and said, Hey, you need to worship Caesar. And you said, no, you died. Jesus says, I'm not shutting the door on you. 
you faithful to me? The door is always open because I have the key. I have the key. You guys ever lock yourself out of your house or lock yourself out of your car? Or you go, oh, where's my keys? Where's my keys? And somebody goes, don't worry. Then you still go, I've got them, you dummy. And I don't go, how dare you call? I go, oh, good. Because it's cold out here. I can't get in. When someone has the key, it's so relieving. And Jesus says, they shut the door in your face. You know, they had a little, little slide door, just like the speakeasies back in the 30s. And you'd walk up to the synagogue and you'd knock on the door and they'd slide it open and they'd look at you. You can't come in. You're a Christian. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You faithful to me? That's what matters. Nobody has a say in whether or not you're in the kingdom or not. Only I do. You listen to me, church. People are not the judge. God is the judge. And He says, aren't you glad? Because I'll tell you what, some of us here, including myself, wouldn't be a part of this church if it were up to some people. Hello! I'm trying to get all swaggered on you, but come on. It's a truth. If people had their say, I wouldn't be here. If people had their say, you may not be here. Aren't you glad they don't have a say? I can. Uh, Nora does this now. I go over to Noel, the newest grandchild. Hi, Noel. And Nora says, "Stop! Stop! 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 Stop!" I did not. What? What are you doing? Stop! 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 And I'm like, "Hi, no! Stop!" I go, stop that. And, and, and Nicole goes, Nora, what's wrong with you? Stop, that's your baby sister. We know why she's saying that. Does that stop Papa? No. It doesn't stop me. I'm going to love all of them. I'm going to love all of them. I went too long on this point. Look at this Bible. Look what the Bible says here in Hebrews 10. So, brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus' death. We can enter through a new and living way that Jesus opened for us. Why? He has the key. His body was the key. Jesus even said in John 10, He said, I'm the door. And if you come, enter through me, you're saved. He didn't say, I'm one of the doors in the world. He says, I am the only door. And you come through me. Not through a catechism or some kind of church rules. You come through me. From trusting me. But then he says, he opens, he says something of another one. Look at this. And it kind of relates here. Revelation 3.8. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, notice here is that he says, first of all, there's an open door to you, but this door is open for everybody. It's an open door that's before you. Now, if you read the Scriptures, you find out that Paul referred to open doors as opportunities. See, Philadelphia, there was opportunities to spread the gospel. Philadelphia was, was, a, trade, was a trade city, a border town. It was, it, was built, it was built on the borders of Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia, on purpose, on purpose, from this city, from this little town, that, that, because it was so connected, had a, it was like a truck stop. Everybody was coming through this town. 
They used it to spread Greek culture. That's what it was built for, to spread Greek culture. In fact, in AD 19, Lydia drops their language, their original language altogether, and they become a Greek, exclusively Greek, because of this. And see, the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, look, I know it's tough, I know it's hard, but I also have a door that's open, not just for you, but for anyone. And I need you to be that door, that doorway. It was called the doorway to the east. And so from this church, he wants the gospel to be spread. This little church. This little church. And I want you to know this morning, church, that here at Greater Alton, the door is open for you and I. You and I are put in places, in situations, in workplaces, campuses, neighborhoods. We're put with people for a reason. We're born into that family for a reason. And we're the open door for people. We are the person that wherever we are, God is there. That His opportunity for anyone, and maybe you've had this happen to you where it got so shaky you ran out of town and you, you left God. I want you to know the door's still open to you. Still open to you. Open wide for you. And I want you to know something else that I got from this little thought, and that is that when I'm faithful, when you and I are faithful, that's when God opens doors. God actually rewards you and I with more to do. You say, well, I don't want to do more. <laughs> well, if you're faithful, God opens doors for you to do, for, for, for you to take more responsibility. An open door to share your faith, an open door to serve. Now, I want to say this to you. Because it has to be said. If doors aren't opening for you, you better check your faithfulness. If doors are opening for you, you know you're faithful. If they're not opening, you've got to ask yourself, how come God isn't opening doors? Well, maybe God doesn't want you to share what you got. How many times have you brought a friend to church and somebody else is talking to him and you're going, oh, I don't want that person talking to them. Hello? Am I right? I'm going to get over there as quick as I can. Why? Because I don't think they're a faithful person. Are you one of those kinds of people that people worry about getting too close to their friends? I'll tell you how you solve that. Be a faithful person. Just dedicate your life to God and He'll open doors. Promise number two, and I've got to hurry now. Man. <sighs> Promise number two, no matter what happens, you are secure. He promises that to the faithful. Whatever happens to you, you are going to be secure. He says to the one who is victorious. Again, the Bible starts off, the letter starts off to a church, but he always brings it down to the individual believer. And he says to you, the one who is victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Remember what I talked about, that earthquake in 17 AD? Well, for years, for 10 to 15 years, tremors and uh, more earthquakes, aftershocks happened in this town. So much that people were afraid to live in the city. They'd actually moved out and lived outside of the city because all these pillars and all this, all these buildings were just, every time there's a tremor, 
Things would shake and crack and break and another column would fall, another pillar would fall. And so people were used to running in town and going, okay, what am I going to get at the house here before it starts shaking again? And grab it and run back out town because they were, because, did you hear about Bill? What? He went in to get a cup and saucer and an earthquake and he got crushed. Oh, that's sad. So next time we go into town, let's, let's do it quickly. So you run into town, run back. That's their life. Running in, running out. Running back in, running back out. Is that any way to live? Isn't that awful? Afraid to go in. Afraid to go in to their home because the foundation of the town is on, it's on a fault and everything is shaking. Pillars are falling. Being a Christian in Philadelphia is not easy. Being a Christian, it's like those earthquakes. You be a, listen, being a Christian today, Jesus will shake your life up. He will shake up your job. He'll shake up your plans. He'll shake up your relationships, your friendships, your family. He just does that. Didn't he say, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword? He knows. And you know that if you really are faithful, it's going to get you in trouble. And, and I'll tell you, it's when that happens, it's so tempting to run in and run out. Run in. I'll do, no, I think I won't. What a way to live as a Christian. Yeah, I'll do that for God. No, I won't. I'm gonna, oh, that's scary. I'll, I'll, you can count on me. Okay, that's enough. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with the kids for one Sunday. You know? I'm gonna really trust God and give generously, uh, for one time. Because it's just, it's just too scary to be in there. Jesus says you have nothing, you don't have to run out anymore. You don't have to run out anymore. You don't have to live this life anymore. I'll make you a pillar. Like I told you, this is little Athens and there are pillars everywhere. And there's lots of them. Lots of them are already on the ground from the aftershocks. I read uh, a couple of nights ago, one fellow said, in Philadelphia, there's one pillar still standing. Just one. Now I looked at photographs, I see others, and I find out that archaeologists have put them back together. But for a long time, only one pillar stood in Philadelphia. All the earthquakes and all the shaking did not bring it down. And I just wonder if Jesus had that in mind. I'm going to make you like that pillar. And that pillar is going to be in my presence and it can go to hell in a handbasket and shake things to kingdom come, but you'll still be standing. You'll still be secure if you're faithful to me. Look what he says, look what he says here in Hebrews 12. So we should be thankful because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Praise God. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because we're thankful, we should worship God in a way that will please Him. What's He implying there? Could, could I get away with this? Could I say it like this? And because we're thankful, we can worship God faithfully. We can count on Him. I can go into His presence and not worry about everything falling down on and on me. Yesterday, I want to tell you, I, and I, I want you to know, I'm not, I don't even know how to say this. Danny had a song, and, and you couldn't hear it because it was crazy in here. It was like a party. But one of the songs was, Death Was No Big Deal. Death is no big deal. 
And that's true. It's no big deal to a Christian. When you start thinking, you know, I, when I went in to see Stephanie and she was dead and she's lying there in bed and Danny's sitting there and I, and I, I told everybody yesterday, she looked so peaceful. She looked like she was so relieved. I had a little envy going on. You want to be dead? I want to be where she is. Holy mackerel what she's got right now. It's good here, but it's great there. It's broken here. It isn't broken there. And I'm just thinking about all the stuff that shook her. The broken world that tried to shake her. That you and I, some of us here have experienced some of the very same things she's experienced. And will experience some of the things she's experienced. And she still stands. Secure. Secure. I think about rejection shakes. Let me tell you what shakes me personally. Rejection shakes me. Sickness has shaken me. I'm talking about seeing my my family and friends going over to Janet uh, Janet McBride's house and seeing her purple ankles and seeing her skinny. And she goes, "I don't look very good, guys." I'm going, "Man, you're still vertical." She's one of my biggest fans. Just Danny and I go over and visit her and would talk to her. You know, and just, just to talk to her, and she's, oh, this is really tough. Sometimes I just want to punch out. It shakes me. Failure? Doesn't it shake you? Shakes me. When we fail? Messed that up. Could have done that better. Death? Just like a, snaps us like a rug. Wham! Tries to shake us up. And these things I've found have, can come, and they will come to you and I. And Jesus says, but you'll still be standing. You'll still be secure. David said, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. He's at my right hand, so I'll always be secure. My, so my heart is glad. Joy is on my tongue. My body also will be secure. He's saying, I can relax. That's what I saw in Stephanie. She was just relaxing. So God says, I want you to know this morning, God says the church at Philadelphia and to the Greater Alton Church, somebody needs to hear this, no matter what's happening to you, He's got you. He holds you. This point is so good, I'm going to come back to it. Promise number three. He says, I'm going to give you my name. You guys ever had anybody in grade school or high school that was the nickname guy? Mike Potter was my nickname guy in our school. I'll never forget, he called a kid Tick. You're Tick. He had this big body, but he had a head the size of a softball. I kid you not. A little bitty head. And he called him Tick. Oh, it just destroyed him. So all his high school life, he hears Tick, Tick, Tick. When he got a chance to write, what's your nickname in school? He didn't want to put Tick. Big guy, too. I said, Mike, you're playing with fire there. He might have a little head, but he's got big hands. He'll knock you down. He called me Pimwee, boy of rainforest. What is that? Google it. It's embarrassing. Well, what's in a name, you might say? I don't know. Names don't matter much to me, Tim. I got nicknames, too. They didn't matter much to me. I don't care about names that much. Well, let me tell you, names must mean a lot. And if you don't think they do, the next time you get a check, have them sign my name to your check, and then we'll be fine. 
No, names are important. We know that. And over the years, Philadelphia had been given several names. One was Neo-Caesarea, which meant New Caesar. That was after Tiberius had rebuilt the city. Another name was Flavin, which was the family name of Vespasian. But it kept coming back to Philadelphia, coming back to the original founder of the city. Today, it's Alashir in Turkey. And you know what that name means? City of God. City of God. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 3. The one who's victorious, I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. What is this name? What name is he talking about? All I know about this name is this. It tells me I belong to him, and I'm a part of his city. I'm a citizen in his city. That's what I know. Look, it says in Isaiah, which, by the way, I'm noticing, look at the promise. And this is one of many in the Old Testament where God is speaking to the Jew. He says, and you'll be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called forsaken city or desolate land. Your new name will be called the city of God's delight, the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Isn't it interesting that the church is called the bride of Christ? See, this promise wasn't just to the Jew. It was to God's people. Whoever were his people. And folks, a lot of Jews, they embraced Christianity. And then we as Gentiles followed. And this promise is as good as when the day it was made that he'll give us a new name. You know, you know that song, I Will Change Your Name? We sing that song around here. I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely or afraid. I will change your name. It, this song comes from this, these two passages. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one. And look, what, look what's right there faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. You see, the, word, the name Christian is not a title. It's a description. It's a description. It's, what does the word Christian mean? It means a follower of God. A faithful follower of God. And this new name you are promised as you're faithful says that you belong to God that you're a citizen of His kingdom. That you belong to God. So don't be ashamed, like First Peter says here. Don't be ashamed to wear the name. Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. The name Christian. Promise number four. Coming back, we're going to come back to promise number two through promise number four. I will keep you intact as you face your trials. Jesus must want us to get this clear. We need to hear it a couple of times. And that is, He's going to take care of us and keep us. When you keep Christ, He keeps you. I'm going to say it again. When you keep Christ, He promises to keep you. Look what He says here. Since you have kept My command to endure patiently, 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about the tribulation? And I've heard about that tribulation. We're going to have this big tribulation. He's not talking about some tribulation. Folks, got to remember, Revelation was written to a people that was, were told, what I'm saying to you will shortly come to pass. What I'm saying to you, well, the time is at hand, within your reach. This is not 2017, 2018. This is something that's going to happen within your lifetime. Well, then why do we read the book of Revelation? Because the book of Revelation gives you and I hope that whatever we face, we'll be as victorious as these faithful ones. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about something that happened about 40 years later. He's talking about when the whole world would, would be at war. What are you talking about? Well, the Jews and the Romans were at each other's throats. What had happened was, was the, Jew, the, the Romans decided they were going to build a temple in Jerusalem. See, there were no Greek or Roman temples in Jerusalem. Only the temple. Remember, they were exempt. But here comes this Roman, and he says, got, got an idea, we're going to build a temple to Jupiter in Jerusalem. And all hell broke loose. And they got into this war with Rome. The Jews, they're nasty. Guys, these guys are tough. And they fight the Roman armies to a standstill. In one battle alone, 580,000 Jews died. That's how big this battle was. And the Romans lost so many, so many casualties. The Romans lost that a, that a Roman general by the name of Hadrian would always send a letter to the emperor telling him, keeping him updated as to how things were going, would always sign, I and my army are well. Well, he didn't sign that anymore. Because it wasn't well. They were getting their heinies kicked. Eusebius, a, a historian. What about the Christians? What happened to them? You know, Romans are dying by the thousands. Jews are dying by the thousands. It's like things have just gone crazy. What about the Christians? They're dying by the thousands too. Eusebius, a, a historian, quotes an emperor that's, uh, or a general bragging about the heaps of thousands of Christian men, women, and children before his feet. So the Christians aren't spared? It says here, I'll keep you from the hour. Well, not exactly. If you read verse 11, he says, now you need to hold on. Well, why would you tell people if you're spared to hold on? They're going to go through something. So what's, what is he saying here? What's he really trying to say? Well, the Greek word behind this word keep is the Greek word tereho. And it means to keep one in the state in which he is. In other words, to keep him intact. I look at it like a NASCAR driver. He's flying around the track 200 miles an hour. The car goes out of control. Wham, 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 into the wall, into some cars, bursts into flames, and they come out, put it out the fire, and out he comes, and he walks away from it. That car is mangled like, like a can, and he's able to walk away. That's the image here. That's the image here. But Tim, wait a second. Wait a second. He walks away. He didn't die. Well, okay, let's, let's spiritualize this then. 
You know, we, uh, Stephanie's car crashed. You know that, right? Her body got two or three flips, burst into flames. Yeah, <laughs> burst into flames, mangled, and out she comes. Walking out of the damage. No Roman, listen to me, no Roman, no Jew had that promise. Only to the faithful. That's why I didn't have to lie yesterday. I don't have to lie about her. She walked out of that wreck unscathed. So God doesn't spare you necessarily from death or from suffering, but you walk out. Why? Because you kept Him. He kept you in His hand. And as much as it did this, after it's over, He lets you out and you are unscathed. Praise God. Praise God. He keeps you intact. Stephanie once told me this. Whenever I start thinking about how bad it is, I think about... This is during chemo. She says, I think about all the trouble and difficulties God is holding back. I think about how Satan would just love to have me and him... just he, he's, Like he's talking to, to, to God saying, just leave me alone with Stephanie for five minutes. That's all I need. And God says, no. I think now she would say, Tim, I'm not even in trouble anymore. I walked away from this crash. And I'll promise you, I promise you based on the Scriptures here, that you will walk away from your crash if you're faithful to God. He promises this. And I'll help you in your times of trouble. I will help, listen to this, I will help you outlast that trouble. Psalms 31 says, You who are faithful, love the Lord. The Lord protects those who are loyal. What a promise. And that's the last one. Promise number five. You know, you say, man, there's a lot of promises here. Aren't you glad? I am. I'm glad there's more than one. He promises that, he goes, I will vindicate you. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, what a weird passage here. He says, I'll make those who are the, of the synagogue of Satan, we've heard that before, I think from Pergamum or Smyrna, from Smyrna, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet to acknowledge that I have loved you. That sounds, did you think of Joseph when you heard that? Remember what happened to Joseph? His whole family rejects him, sells him out, get rid of him. He goes to Potiphar's house. He has to live by, you know, as a slave, and and then he gets in prison, and then because and by the way, this says the Lord was with him all that time. The Lord was with him. We talked about this in small group, and someone said, yeah, he he made sure the Lord was with him too. And the Lord is with him, and he ends up being second in command of all of Egypt. And then here come his brothers. Remember he had that dream? You all guys, I had a dream. And it, all these bundles of grain bowed down to me. And I think that's who you guys are. And you're all going to bow down to me. Isn't that great? And they're not too happy about it. Even his dad goes, are you, are you saying I'm going to bow down to you? Well, that's what the dream said. Something wrong with my boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now they all come to him. And the Bible says they bowed to Joseph. You think Joseph... Wow, it's true. God rewards faithfulness. He really rewards faithfulness. You know, the Jews are treating the Christians like trash. And it's discouraging. Because they share the same heritage. And you know these Christians are going, maybe I ought to quit. And, and Come on, guys, you know this is true. We have people... We have people that, that, you have people that trash you, that reject you, they've shut the doors on you, they've shut it down, they've written you off, you're not gonna have a legacy, they'll say, you're not gonna make any difference in your life anymore. That, they, and you know, and, and it's, it's bad enough when it's family, when it's DNA, but when they, when you, they share the same heritage as you, it hurts too. You gotta admit, it stings, doesn't it? And don't you want them to eat their words? I've got, I'm, I'm going to admit to you, I want them to eat their words. I want to prove them wrong. But I've got to tell you something that's painful. If you share that same thing, guess what your problem is? Same problem I got. I'm only being faithful to me. Because faithful to God means I'm going to keep working, I'm going to keep serving. And let God settle the score. God's much better at it, better at it than I am. And that's what he's saying here. He goes, these people will finally realize, wow, these judges, these critics are going to go, wow, God does love you. He did accept you. He does work with you. I thought he didn't. I was wrong. And I just praise God that, that you know, He's going to clear your name. He's going to clear and vindicate your name as long as you're faithful. And I want you to know, this is a promise only to His people. To no one else. Isaiah 60 says it this way, The people who have hurt you will bow down to you Those who hated you will bow down at your feet. They will call you City of the Lord. New name? Jerusalem. City of the Holy One of Israel. I want you to know what God's going to acknowledge is this. Someday, you hang in there. Don't you let people push you around. Let the words of God do that. And someday... Everybody's going to know from the lips of God that He is for you. Always was. And always loved you. So, whatever situation you're in today, whatever it is in a marriage that you're not crazy about, be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. You're in a work situation that stinks. Be faithful to God. You're in a situation where you just go, this is unfair. I don't like this. Nothing can keep you from being faithful to God, right? Be faithful to God. Let God work it out. Because He blesses a faithful church.
That's all I got. Some of you here heard two sermons in two days. I'm so, I don't know whether to be sympathy, have sympathy towards you or what, man. Wow. You really know how to take it. Came back Sunday. Wow. It's good to be together. I hope, I'll, you know, I want us to be a faithful church. I'll, God wants to be a faithful church and God will bless you when you are. And we got a, we got a card that's in the bulletin. That, you know, it's a response card. We had a bunch of them filled out last week. And if you've got something you want people to pray for, hey, why not put it down on a card? You know, maybe there's a particular person or a particular situation. You know you need to be faithful and trust the Lord. Why not just ask for help there? Maybe you're someone just, you know what, I'm not sure what I need to do. I just need prayers to do the right thing. You know, I know that um, when my father passed away, my brother got serious about seeking God. I got serious about sharing Christ. And so on the heels of maybe a funeral, maybe you've had a thought, I don't know, Something's God's working with you. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Make a decision today. Because God will bless your faithfulness. Let's pray and we'll be, be through here. Father, thank You for this morning. Lord, thank You for all these promises. You promise so much and You deliver every one of them. And Father, we pray as we think about these promises You extend to us. Father, we think about how You do know us better than anyone else. You know where our hearts are this morning. And we pray, Father, that we'll be a faithful church, that we'll be a faithful Christian. Father, the world's so shook up, and and the life life is broken here on earth. And there's cracks in everything, Lord. Everything's so unstable, except Your kingdom. It's solid as a rock, as a mountain. Help us trust You, Lord. Help us do the things to get right with You, to be right with You, to be a part of Your kingdom and experience the unshakable nature of Your kingdom. Father, we pray for security. We're thankful for the door always being open to us that no one can shut. Oh God, would You help us see those doors when they open? Help Help us to recognize those doors when they open to us, to share to share Your Word with somebody, share Your love with somebody. And Father, we, we pray You'll keep us. Help us hold on. Help us to hold on so no one can take our crown as we go through tr- trouble and tribulation. Father, I thank You for Stephanie, for knowing Stephanie. We thank You for her. And Father, we pray that, that uh, her how she's touched us will cause us to pause and grow and her passing will make us think about what are we going to do with what she gave us that you gave her to give to us help us be faithful father to you pray for my brother danny and for morgan and ethan and you give them more and more comfort lord more and more comfort give them assurance and joy knowing stephanie's in good shape She's in great shape. Father, I pray you, you, you especially you take care of Charles and Barbara, Jan and Chip, and just Mark and all the brothers and sisters of Stephanie and her family too. Give them greater comfort. Father, I pray for those of the crossings that were dear friends of Stephanie, for Janice and Mary and Ruth. I know that was very tough for them yesterday. 
Father, I pray that the, that they, that the sense of gain will overcome their sense of loss. In fact, I pray, Father, you give me that as well. Father, take care of Janet McBride. Man, we love her. I love her. She, I, she's just a spunky woman, man, and I just love her. And so I pray you just give her all kinds of energy. Help Dawn as she takes care of her mother. And Father, help us as a church think about how we can help Dawn because I know that's a lot on her plate as well. Chrissy Harder's father lost her aunt um, last week. And Father, I, I pray that you comfort her as well as we remember her aunt here at the church on Wednesday. I want to thank you, Father, for, for family and for, for your love. Father, I pray you help us this morning to give generously and to give with purpose. Help us, Father. Help us most of all, no matter what happens, be faithful to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.